I will be reading from Mark chapter 5, verses 21 to 23. It is 22 verses, so let us read together. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus, and came up behind him in the crowd, and touched his garment. For she said, If I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they had said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talita kumi which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Amen. This is the word of God. You may now be seated. Thank you, Joanne, for reading that really long passage. Uh, one of the things that I've realized when I first came to here is that we're always so rushed for time. And I know that I have until 1040, so I have plenty of time. Thanks be to God. But, you know, when I was coming up here and when I was actually sitting up there and worshiping, uh, one of the things that I noticed is that we have so many faithful people serving at this church that really make new hope, new hope. And I just want to just take some time. Can we just thank them? Like, we have uh, ushers, we have welcoming, we have praise team, we have so many people. Can we just give them a hand just to thank them? And it's, it's such an encouragement for me to, to be like, never complain about using your gifts to serve God. You know, I'm really blessed to be here today, and I always really count it an honor to share God's word with you. Uh, before I share God's word, why don't we enter into a word of prayer? 
Thank you, Jesus, for who you are. You are like none other. When everything else, God, in our world kind of falls apart, God, we have you. You are there with us. And God, you give us hope. No matter how hard or difficult our situations are, God, you are our hope. And that's why we worship you this morning. We thank you so much for the word of God, your scriptures. And we do believe, God, that as we preach, you, Jesus, become enfleshed and enlivened in our presence. And so, God, I pray that you would speak to us because that's what makes you different from any other lowercase God we hear about. They don't speak. They're made of sticks and stones. But, God, you are the living God who speaks your word specifically to us. And God, we know that the biblical account for hearing really means obedience. And so may we just not hear, but may we obey, may we act upon your word. So we pray against Satan who wants to thwart your word by putting many other different words in our minds through getting us to focus on all other things other than your word. So God, we pray that your spirit would center our hearts upon you so that we would hear your word today, all of us here today. We pray this in your name. Amen. You know, something that I've learned about myself in my life is that when I get into something, I really get obsessed with it. Anyone else here like that? You really get obsessed. I know that when I was a very young boy, I was really into baseball. I wanted to become a baseball player, but I thought I was too short. I'd never make it. And uh, I realized I could have made it. I actually did grow to that height, but uh, too bad. Because I had something else that I kind of got passionate about. It was taekwondo. And I was so into taekwondo, and I wanted to go to the Olympics in 2000, Sydney Olympics. And then after that, I kind of got into coffee. I'm obsessed with coffee, everything related to coffee. I'd love to talk coffee with you. And then I get a, got into fountain pens. Then I got into tri triathlon, Olympic weightlifting. And now I'm still kind of in a home renovation stage. Uh, my wife recently got into golf. And people asked us, hey, do you want uh, Jonathan to get into golf too? And she's like, absolutely not. He's going to be obsessed with, he's going to want to buy all this equipment. He's going to be on the range all the time. He's going he's to want to just golf all the time. Our money is going to kind of disappear. And uh, as soon as she always says something like that, I'm kind of hurt in my heart. But I do realize, yeah, I don't want to get into golf either. It's going to be a bottomless pit for us. When I get into something, I really get obsessed with it. There's one thing, however, that I've gotten into that I couldn't see the same thing happening as with other hobbies, and that's in my walk with God. I found it to be not the case. I found it to be that any time I've really kind of grown, it hasn't been my own will that has caused me to grow. It's actually been hard and difficult and desperate circumstances it caused me to grow. And I remember being earlier on in my faith, and I was noticing this trend about me. And I was like, God, how come I can't be different? How come I can't really desire you and want to grow in leaps and bounds with my own will? I've realized that this was always the case when I first came to Christ, 
It was the case when I was growing in Christ, and it is even the case right now. I just need hard, difficult, desperate circumstances for me to grow in Christ. In the biblical text right here, we see two accounts of desperation. The first account of desperation is with Jairus. And now Jairus is a synagogue leader. He's like the elite. He's like the who's and who's. He's representative of kind of Judaism. But you know what's going on right here? His daughter is gravely ill. And I'm pretty sure he asks all his buddies, hey, can you sacrifice for my daughter? Can you say a prayer on behalf of my daughter? And none of these things worked. None of them worked. So he's found at the feet of Jesus seeking after Jesus. And the other account of desperation is with the woman, kind of completely opposite to Jairus. She's not even given a name. Culturally speaking, she's kind of shunned because she has a bleeding problem. And that means you're unclean. That means you cannot be with the rest of the Israelites around you. At the same time, too, because of her bleeding problem, she's not able to have children. And I don't agree with it, and I don't like this, but at that time, if you were not able to have children, you could not fulfill your obligation or your purpose as a woman. So to speak, she was not only culturally shunned, but she couldn't even fulfill her role in that society. You know what she was? She was a dead woman walking. And that's what she was, a dead woman walking. A truism, as we see right here, is that utter desperation and hard circumstances that bring us to our knees is kind of the only thing that really causes us to come to Jesus. So what can you learn here? Embrace the difficulties. Embrace the difficulties. I know you and I don't like difficulties, but maybe God is doing something in and through your difficulties. Why is this the case? Why is it that growth in God and in faith is difficult? And I'd like to suggest to us that the reason why growth and faith in God is difficult is because we need to die to the larger systems of beliefs and structures and things that we've trusted upon in order for us to really grow in faith. You see, in terms of my hobbies right there, for example, I've been into specialty coffee for 15 years. I love specialty coffee. I have not let go of specialty coffee, but at the same time that I've been into specialty coffee, I could pursue my other hobbies like fountain pens. I could pursue my other hobbies like home renovations. They don't challenge one another. But in regards to faith, anytime we want to grow in terms of faith, we are challenging the other things that we've believed in, the larger, deeper-rooted ideologies and beliefs that we've had. And so you see with Jairus right here, Jairus was the synagogue leader. But you know what he does? He's found on his knees at the feet of Jesus. You know what that represents? That represents for him the understanding that, hey, what I believed in before my understanding of Judaism is not enough. It's not enough. 
There's no ability in my way of thinking in my system that I know that my daughter is going to be healed. Can you imagine other people from his synagogue seeing Jairus at his feet? You know what that would be indicating to them? That, hey, actually this Jesus whom you're at the feet of, what he represents, his message, everything that he is about is true, makes more sense than what you and I believed in before. You see his system of belief being challenged. And even with a woman too, though she had a hard work ethic, she relentlessly pursued many physicians. She trusted maybe in her wealth, saying maybe that next time I'm going to be healed of my sickness. But nothing, nothing worked for her. The best physicians, no matter how much money she threw at them, could not work for her. She needed to give up in that belief system and believe that there's someone else who can actually save me. And even if I just touch the end of his garment, I am going to be healed. And this is why growth and having faith in Jesus and in something else is difficult, because it means at the same time dismantling and rejecting what we once believed in, that old system. For a new way of thinking to take place, we need to dismantle the old. And so this is a truth about the Christian faith, that the method of growth in our Christian faith is always through death and resurrection. In order for us to grow in our faith, something needs to die. And that's why it hurts. And in Galatians 2.20, I think this is a great passage that describes our Christian life and how we grow. The Apostle Paul says, I have been crucified. And I want to point out something because I'm going to point out to you before. That word crucified, it's in a perfect tense. You know what that means? That means it's not just this past tense thing. It means that I have once been crucified and I need to be crucified over and over again. So I'll continue reading. I have been crucified and continue to be crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Growing in the Christian faith is difficult. You see this shift happening with the woman before she trusted in her own abilities. And then she comes and she's introduced to God and his kingdom. And then she comes into a new reality. You see this in verse 5, verse 34. We read, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Let me give to you another translation and a more expanded translation of what that means. Daughter of God, who now belongs to his new family and God's kingdom, your faith has and is continuing. In the previous translation, it says whole. The ESV says whole. But in actuality, it's the word for save. You are continuing to be saved. Go into peace and be a state of wellness from your suffering. You see that woman who was kind of rejected from her culture. Now she's called daughter. And she's not old enough to be Jesus' daughter. But God, Jesus calls her daughter. You are now daughter of God's kingdom. 
and now you have received salvation. You are actually having the benefits of the kingdom of God. And this is an important point here. The aspects of our elements of our faith, they are aspects not of this world here, but they are elements of God's new kingdom. I'm going to share with you in a little bit why that's important. She now here has the benefits of God's new kingdom. The inbreaking of the kingdom of God has come into her life, whom she is a part of at this moment. And to Jairus' daughter, Jesus says to her in verse 5, verse 41, Little girl, I say to you, arise. And now if you're Mark's audience at this time and you hear that word arise, you would know immediately that this is kind of like an allusion to Jesus' own resurrection. And what the passage is saying here is that Jairus' daughter now has arisen. She also as well is going to be a part of the resurrection at the end of the day. So take hope. Jairus' daughter has moved in away from an old system into a new system. But what happens? What happens often in our own prayers? In our own prayers, often we sometimes just want to keep that old system, right? That old way of living, but we want something new, something that belongs to God's kingdom to come into that old system. In essence, what are we doing? We're treating God as somewhat of a genie in a bottle. God, I don't want to change, but I want goodness. I want blessing. What happens when we do that? Let me share with you this story. Um, as I shared, I'm really into home rentals. I blame it on my wife because she wanted the kitchen renovated. And I started off with the kitchen during the pandemic, and it's just continued. The whole first floor is renovated, and now we're getting into the basement. But I must admit, the basement renovation is me. It's all me. I really wanted the basement renovation done. And my basement, when we first moved in, um, the previous owner had put in two pieces of drywall on one wall. And uh, during that time when I was renovating, I said, hey, let me finish it off, that side. Uh, the adjacent side of that wall, I, so I mudded and taped it, and I made a kind of like a semi-coffee studio because a fake cafe so that I could record my sermons. It was so awesome just having that fake cafe. Uh, Google me up one of these days, and you'll see on, on my sermon videos a, a fake cafe. But it was so beautiful, and it was so awesome. Uh, but when I was telling myself, hey, I want to turn it from a, I want to turn it from a fake cafe into a real cafe. I was so heartbroken. You want to know why I was heartbroken? Because I actually looked behind the wall. And behind the wall, the person before had framed out the wall uh, flat. So he put the two by fours and he put it flat against the wall instead of putting it on its edge. And why that was a problem was because because he framed it that way, I couldn't really put proper electrical through there. Because he framed it that way, my plumbing pipes would have been outside of the wall and into the cabinets. And I was just trying to think of anything that I could possibly do not to have to rip and tear down that wall. And I was so sad. And I really tried to make that fake kind of old system of a wall work. But you know what? It wasn't going to work. And as soon as I realized that, I had to tear it down. I had to tear it down. My beautiful coffee set that I loved and cherished, I had to tear it down. Because if I was going to do it properly, if I wanted the real deal to be there, 
If I wanted my beautiful under cabinet lighting, if I wanted to have that, you know, awesome sink that was going to work properly, and if I wanted to have the necessary amount of electrical plugs that I needed and to not cause a fire because an espresso machine takes a lot of electricity and to run a kettle at the same time would pop the breaker. If I wanted to have a beautiful cafe, I needed to tear it down. You see, sometimes we want the things of God, but we want to retain our old life. But when we do that, it's not going to work out. It's not going to work out. These days I've been walking along with a, a couple, a married couple, and they have a child. And the husband is kind of caught up in something that is destroying his life. He hasn't admitted it, but our guess is that something, something is wrong. And so they've been kind of separated at this time, not legal separation, but physical separation. And I've been trying to reach out to him many times. And finally, he got back to me, and we met up, and I was excited to, to meet up with him. But then as we sat down and as he was talking, I slowly got de-excited. My excitement went away. And the reason is, is because he just wasn't sharing about what was going on in his life. He wasn't being honest. I know deep in his heart he wanted to be back with his family. But I knew in my heart is that if I tried to bring them back physically together, it's one of the worst things that I could be doing as a pastor. Because his heart hasn't changed. His life didn't change. And if they were to be back together and try to live when that foundation hasn't been changed, when he hasn't been changed, it could be this worst perpetual cycle and he would never learn. And sitting with him, I got so disappointed. I got disappointed in him. And you know, as soon as I start judging somebody, one of the things that I've always learned to do is look at you. What about you? Hey, aren't you exactly like him? Aren't there certain things in your life that you do the same way, that you're not dealing with, that you know is there? Not this week, but the week before, um, I realized that, man, I got a lot of loneliness in my heart. I just wasn't sure what was going on. I just got a lot of loneliness. I'm asking where is that coming from? And I realized kind of two things, maybe where it's coming from. And uh, maybe it's TMI, but who cares? You judge me, you judge me. But one of the things I've been struggling with in the past few years, I'd say, is coming to the realization that my wife and I were just not going to have kids. Just coming to that realization, hey, Maybe we're not going to be 
we're, we're probably not going to be parents. And then how do you, how do you move on? And I, I think um, that feeling of loneliness really got highlighted because the week before I took care of this really cute dog and it was having him in our house. He was like a little puppy, a little child and uh, having that little presence. And then when he wasn't there anymore, I was like, wow, loneliness, sadness. And the other thing that I realized that was causing this this loneliness and this deep sadness was my struggle with the church that I was at and the church at large. And with many of us pastors, we made a decision early in our lives to go into ministry and then to see the struggle of the ministry, to see things kind of collapse, so to speak. And I think in my heart, at the end of the day, it wasn't just, it wasn't just sadness. It wasn't loneliness. It was really God, what the heck? God, do you, do you actually not, like, love me? That's what it was at the base and at the root. And I remember writing this sermon and telling myself, hey, you can't just preach a sermon and not, like, live it out. And so I remember Friday night, I was like, God, I just, <laughs> I got to come to you. And so I got on my knees and I prayed my prayer and I was like, God, what is going on? Why? And I've been doing this for many years, struggling, struggling, struggling. And I just tell you, just just by coming to God in the realness of where I was at, telling him, hey, I've tried to feel love through different things in my life. I've tried to feel satisfaction and contentment through different things in my life. It's just not going to work. It just hasn't been working. It's only led to sin. It's only led to going in ways that are not pleasing to you. But God, how do you satisfy me? I need you. I can't find it on this side. I can't find it with everything this world has to offer. And I remember immediately after praying, just finding a peace. Just, you know that peace that you just have? Just that peace. So I want to ask you as well. What is it that you need to come to God with? What is it that you need to come to God with? What have you been trying to figure out on your own? And are you ready to come to the feet of Jesus and surrender to him. Please do, for salvation is found there and the new life of the kingdom begins. Let's pray. I'm gonna ask everyone as we pray to actually respond to God. Hey, I've got time. I told, they told me 1040's gotta be a hard stop. But you know, the thing about, as I've prayed in my prayer before, the word of God isn't just meant to be, like, listened to. We're supposed to respond to God's word. This is our worship to him. So I know if you're anything like me, there's stuff in your heart. Can we be like Jairus? Can we be like that woman who comes at the feet of Jesus? Let's pray. I'm going to give you a time of reflection and letting God speak to you.
God, some of us are not desperate enough. God, a lot of us have been just trying over and over and over again, thinking that somehow the result would be different. God, we want to be out of that misery. And God, so I pray, God, that maybe you just want to make it a little bit harder. Maybe you want to just show us the reality of that path. God, so that we come on our knees. And you're not a God who just wants us to suffer, just to go through hardship but you're a God who wants us to have life in this world now because the kingdom of God has come now. God, forgive us because we have been so satisfied with just second-level filth. And we've been content there. But God, when we've been there, we've only been a shadow of our real self. God, we want to experience the newness of life, God, now. And we're so thankful that when we come at your feet in desperation, God, you are there. God, and the inbreaking of the kingdom is available to us because we ask of it. And so, Father God, help us to have faith in you. God, that you can do it when we can't. Helps to have faith in you, God, that again, you're not just making our lives better incrementally, one aspect at a time, but you're bringing us into a new realm and mode of living, and that is in your kingdom. God, you are our hope, our ultimate hope. God, we want that life, and we want it now. God, I pray for those who are struggling. May they and us be reminded, God, that when we confess our sins and pray for another, God, we will be healed. Thank you, Jesus, because you love us, God, that much that you're allowing us to go through these hard times so that we will have real life. Thank you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. Now receive this benediction. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God our Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen. You know, I know that there's open prayer today. And so I really encourage you, hey, if you just need prayer for something, just just go there and, and ask for prayer before you go to fellowship. Go in peace. Thank you.